Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hey, everybody. It's Chris with my co-host Ross again with another episode of the Black Hill Archives. So uh, I had an interesting day at work today, Ross. Oh. Yeah, um, so you know that one, I told you I, I work with two uh, Hispanic guys during the day. Yes, sir. I Back remember. in the warehouse, one of them's a pastor, you know, told you about him. He's just uh, obscenely lazy and uh, spends pretty much the majority of the day, every day, either sitting, doing absolutely nothing, um, or messing around and talking, or texting his boss, I mean his wife, all day long, every day. <laughs> and uh, so today, uh, I'm in the back unloading the truck, as usual. That's what I usually do. Mm-hmm. And I'm literally inside the truck, like unloading all the parts. <clears throat> and so this the Hispanic pastor comes back. He's supposed to be pulling orders. And, like, I knew today, I saw, because I looked, you know, I passed by a few times, and I saw there was, like, a ton of orders backed up, you know, that were supposed to be being pulled. And so this Hispanic, the Hispanic pastor guy, he was supposed to be pulling them. He, he comes back into the truck when I'm pulling the parts off the truck and, you know, checking them off to go put them away in the warehouse. Yeah. He comes back into the truck, and he he comes up to behind me. I don't even, like, see him approaching me. He's just like, Chris, can I ask you a question? I turn around. I'm like, okay, yes. I thought he was going to ask something relevant, you know. And then his next statement was, it's, it's not work-related. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. <clears throat> can I already see where this is going. You're trying to waste time. And then he asked me, uh, do you believe in prayer? Dude, I've talked to this guy, like, at least, uh, I mean, numerous times before. Like, he knows my beliefs. He already knows the answer to this question because we've talked about it before. Okay? So this tells me that he's not being genuine. He's just being deliberately obstinate because he doesn't want to pull the orders and he just wants to waste time. (laughs) See what I mean? Yeah. Dude, I just went off on this guy. Like I just laid into him. I was like, (laughs) I asked him, I was like, have you read the Bible? He's like, Oh yeah. I know he's lying. Just, and plus from the discussions we've had before in the past, like I mentioned, he's totally, it's a total lie. He doesn't know the Bible at all. And I was like, "Oh well, uh, so so what? So so what does it say about slothfulness and laziness in there?" I was like, "Does God have a high view of that?" He's like, "Oh no, not usually." I just it escalated from there, and I just <laughs> like 
flipped out on him. <laughs> I basically told him, you know, I mean, no, I'm pretty sure it's a sin in the Bible, and if you keep doing this every day, like you're doing, you, you, you won't be able to just say this little magic formula. It's not going to get you off the hook, man. You're going to be in for a rude awakening. You get what right. I'm saying? Yeah. I mean... It's like, dude, I, I totally understand, like, it's just amazing now how I, I, I totally understand, I, I'm totally cured of the libertarianism that I used to be, the brain disease I used to have, which led me into Gnosticism, because I never understood why Yahweh act the way he did in the Bible, especially, particularly the Old Testament, you know, like why he used such violence to compel people, you know, to do more, you know, to compel their moral behavior. Yeah. Well, my experience has totally confirmed that since then, you know what I mean, especially with different jobs I've had. People are completely belligerent, dude. I mean, it's exactly like the Bible says, this is why Yahweh had to do those things, because most people, you could stand there and reason with them all day long, man, and tell them why what they're doing is wrong and how to do it the right way and They'll just look at you like deer in the headlights, look, and right after you're done talking to them, they'll just go right back to doing what they were doing before, the wrong thing, the wrong way, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like it's like Drake says, these people only understand violence, like force, pain. Like when you inflict those things on them, then they'll be like, oh, if I, do, if I keep doing this, then... then, then this is going to hurt, right? And then I'll feel pain, so I probably shouldn't do that. That's that's what the only thing that most people understand. You know what I mean? That's all the that's all their faculties are capable of comprehending. You know, they're like yeah. children. I mean, it's just it's just the way it is. <laughs> I I mean, this guy was fortunate. I didn't punch him, dude. I mean, I was like I was I was like rage mode, man. I gave him a strong rebuking, though. I mean, for the rest of the day, he, he was it seemed like it worked. He was pulling parts. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I, these Christians, dude, they they think like that anger is a sin, you know, and like judgment is a sin. It's just. <laughs> Like, apparently, he even went up, and uh, I told my uh, the other Hispanic guy, Sergio, about it after he left, the pastor guy left. And uh, I told him if, you know, I asked him if he'd uh, if he told him about it after it happened. And he said, oh, well, he came up to me and asked me, uh, was Chris angry today? <laughs> and that's all good, I asked <laughs> But that illustrates right there what these Christians think. They seriously think that, like, anger is a sin. You know what I mean? That's how effeminate... Christianity, they think that the Bible teaches, like, pacifism, and it's this effeminate thing. You know what I mean? It's just... Oh, man. Very sad. It's like, oh, I can just... I can just keep sinning. Won't Jesus just forgive me? Right? They have that mentality. They don't. It's like repentance. What's that? You know, it, <laughs> it's really sad. 
What were you saying? Sorry. No, I was just mocking that question that he you said he asked. Was Chris mad? You know, they yeah. project. Is something wrong with Chris? Why is he right. acting like this? You know, yeah, right, no, right. it's you, yeah. sweetheart. It's, no, uh, I know. <laughs> and that's what I told him. I was like, yeah, I was mad. I was, I was angry at him. Yeah. See? <laughs> yeah, it's just totally irrelevant. He was trying to, you know, virtue signal, you know, to avoid his, uh, his fault, you know, and me rebuking him for it. It's just... Uh... Anyway... Is that why you said you were filling out an application, Justin? Yeah, Peterson? partly. Yeah. Well, my friend, uh, the one coworker from Fairway that I hung out with, I hadn't seen in like two years. He's uh, he he referred me to the job that he's working at. He said they're hiring, and it's basically everything about it sounds better. So, <laughs> I mean, if, you know, and if if I put his name down. You know, as the person who referred me, I mean, I'm, I'll pretty much get hired. So I'm going to go for it. Yeah. So, yeah. I was going to say, dude, if uh, they want to fight dirty, they easily could. You know? I mean, all they have to <laughs> you... say is that you started talking about race issues one day. Uh-huh. You know? Actually, uh-huh, you didn't yeah. even have to have that conversation. They could both say that. And if the boss is, you know, a libtard, then whatever. But mm. next time, I hate to think this way. I hate being nasty like this. But next time, if that ever happens again, see if you can record them, you know, mm-hmm. like video without them mm-hmm. noticing. So in case. They want to fight dirty instead of just helping you out with the job. Then uh, you can, you know, show them that. Yeah, I mean, I have no intention on staying here at all. So <laughs> I don't really care what they do. I mean, I know Sergio won't do anything. And I don't think I don't think the other guy is going to do anything either because he knows that I'm right. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can I can tell I convicted him. You know what I mean? He knows that I'm right. He can't refute me from the Bible. He knows I know it better than him. He hasn't even read it, dude. All the way through. <laughs> He's a pastor. But it's like mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Something else I was thinking about today. Do you know this uh, passage in Romans 2 where it says, let me see here, see if I can find it. It's Romans 2.12 is where it starts. It says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Okay. 
So remember we've talked about this passage before and how it says basically Gentiles will be judged by their conscience? Yeah. I was thinking about this today. I don't think this means, because to me this leads to like moral relativism. And you brought that up, right? Yeah, that was confusing to me. Yeah, and I was thinking about this today. Drake, I think Drake kind of inspired me on this, but I think he's right in his interpretation of this. I don't think we're going to be judged. I don't think God's going to judge us by two different standards. I think everyone's going to be judged by the law, things in the law. And I think what this is, the conscience that's being referred to in this passage is conscience in reference to things in the law or parameters of the law. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm, not quite. Like, like your conscience, it's not some arbitrary moral relativism thing. You know, like you're, it's not everyone's judged by their own arbitrary conscience. It, your right. conscience is convicting you of things in the law, and that's what you will be judged by. Mm. It's not just convicting you of arbitrary things. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I said, uh, I don't think the conscience referred to in the New Testament that Gentiles would be judged by is any kind of moral relativism. Rather, it is referring to conscience in reference to things in the law or by parameters of the law and innate knowledge thereof, either in the DNA, as per Noam Chomsky's view, or, you know, the spirit, higher mind, whatever whatever you want to say. Basically, I think the, the law is written in our hearts. It's written in everybody's heart. Everyone has an innate knowledge of things in the law or of the law. Yeah. Even though you know the passage in Jeremiah where it says God, when, he, when God gives the new covenant, he says, so write the law in our hearts. Yeah. Well, there's other passages like with, with David in the Old Testament where he says that the law is in his heart. He says the law was written in his heart. So I think, I don't think there's a contradiction. I think that the law is written in everyone's heart already. It's just we don't have a tendency right now to do it. Whereas that's what it's talking about in Jeremiah when the new covenant's given. God will replace our tendency to do sin or to disobey the law with, a te- with an innate tendency to obey it. That's what he's talking about but we already have an innate knowledge of the law in our heart. See that? Yeah. Everybody does. That's what the conscience is. It's an innate knowledge of things in the law or of the law. It's not It's not some arbitrary thing where it convicts you of things outside the law or that aren't in the law. You know, it's not like that. It's not some moral relativism thing. It's an innate knowledge of things in the law or of the law. See that? Yeah. I think that's what your conscience is. You know what I mean? <laughs> that would totally change this whole... You know what I mean? Because yeah. my conscience convicts me of the law. Doesn't yours? Yeah. That's what I'm convicted of. I'm convicted of breaking 
or disobeying the things in the law, the Mosaic law. That's what I'm convicted of in my conscience. I'm not con my conscience doesn't convict me of anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what I think it means here. This passage means when you say not, yours, when, Chris, when you say yours convicts you of stuff in the Mosaic law, do you mean after having studied it? I mean, you didn't feel guilty about eating bacon until you that it wasn't ever loud, right? That's true. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I mean, other things in the law. I mean, it already it convicted me of, you know, like uh, you know, adultery and murder and things like that. I mean, I don't think uh, I'm not sure we have an innate knowledge of everything in the law, you know. Okay, that's what. But I think me. certain basic things. What I'm basically saying is, you're not going to be judged by things outside of the law. That's my whole point here. Would you agree with that? Yeah. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. That's what I think this passage is saying. Your conscience is convicting you of things that are in the law. That's the whole point. You know. Yep. Might not be everything, but. I think everyone has an innate knowledge of certain things in the law, right? That's what they're going to yeah. be judged by. Mm -hmm. It's not things outside of the law. It's not two different standards that God's going to judge people by. You know what I mean? <laughs> two rule books. Or or a, a different standard for every single person, which is, seems to be like what Christians think, you know, just total moral relativism thing, yeah. you know, your mystical feelings being what define, defining what sin is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I'm. I agree with Drake on that. You know, I think he's right on this. It makes way more sense. I mean, now, but yeah, Mike. But now, I mean, I think that God has revealed that to me, though, and convicted me of that. You know, as time went on, like by my conscience that. That's what I'm convicted of now is, is things in the law. I mean that's what he led me that's what he led me to, you know. Yeah. I think that's why. I mean I think you would say the same thing, wouldn't you? Mm hmm. Yeah, because I think that's the standard, you know, and that's what your conscience points you to. That's what that's what God leads it to be to point you to, you know? Because yeah. that is the standard that you have innate knowledge of. That's what your conscience, you know, has knowledge of, you know, and will, when convicts you by is the law, you know, and things in the law. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Okay, well, wait, because I think, is there a contradiction here? Because, I mean, you're saying that not, that we don't, uh, our conscience doesn't convict us of every little thing in the law until we know about it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's not two rule books. Or are you saying in the end, like at Judgment Day, there's not? Do you see what I'm asking? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, at the end of Judgment Day, no, there's not. There's going to be we're going to be judged by the law. I guess so, how far our conscience is uh, 
convicted us of the law or things in the law, you know? Mm. Yeah, okay, yeah. I don't think God's going to, basically what I'm saying is I'm not, well, I guess God still, there are still sins of ignorance, but I think maybe what the passage is saying is people that don't have the law or maybe aren't aware of it, you know, are ignorant of it, they'll be judged by the things that their conscience has innate knowledge of that they either obeyed or didn't disobey that are in the law. Know what I mean? Like murder, adultery, lying, theft, etc. The basic welcome to being a human being list? Yeah, but I mean, they're in the law, you know. It's not things outside of the law. Know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. Then the people that know more, obviously, you know, they'll have higher accountability. No. They'll be judged by their uh, knowledge, I guess, of things in the law. Makes sense. Uh-huh. And uh, Drake mentioned another passage, too, that often gets misinterpreted where... Uh, I'm trying to find it. It's like where it says, if you think something is is a sin, it's a sin for you. You're familiar with that, right? Yeah. He's basically saying that that's not, he's saying that that just, just refers to like social constructs. Like when people think something is a sin, but it's not really a sin, like in the, in the law, but it is a sin for them because they think it's, it's a sin, like it's a social construct that it's a sin. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's not really a sin, like in the law. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, you know? It doesn't seem like it, that's not teaching moral relativism either. Is basically what he's saying. You know, it's being misinterpreted. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would agree with that. You know, I mean, obviously, if you're raised in a society to th- think something is wrong, if, but it's not wrong in the Torah, it's, you're going to think it's wrong, and it's going to be wrong to you, right? Because it's a social construct you've been trained to believe. That's basically what he was saying that that passage really means. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Uh, Another thing, I just want to mention, kind of I've been thinking about, is I'm not, and I'm not sure about this either, but I'm just going to put it out there. So, you know our views on, like, the whole God, quote-unquote, Godhead and all of that, you know, the higher the higher and lower Yahweh distinction and, you know, like, the lower, lower Yahweh, this higher Adam, celestial Adam thing, you know, we have yeah. all that, right? Yeah. Well, Drake made a statement... He, I don't know if you listened to that recent debate he did with Jaron that I uploaded. Most of it. Okay, well, he made a very provocative statement in there that I've like never heard anyone say before, but I thought it was very uh, interesting, insightful. He said that uh, he doesn't believe in the concept or the doctrine of uh, omnipresence, like how... Christians traditionally believe it. Did you hear him? Did you hear that part? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, where he said he doesn't believe that God is physically present everywhere. 
He just thinks his spirit proceeds with it from him and is everywhere. But the spirit's not like a distinct person. It's just like almost like an animating principle. Right? Yeah. Or the the, the effulgence, I guess, of God. Mm-hmm. Um, that would actually make sense and explain a lot of things in the Bible where it seems to indicate that the Father has a body, right? Mm-hmm. He has a body and he has an actual spatial geographical location. He's sitting on a throne. He's not actually physically present everywhere. So maybe uh, maybe the Bible doesn't teach any Neoplatonism at all. I mean, maybe maybe this whole thing where we're thinking like where we're thinking where this where we're 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 invoking this higher father thing, you know, where he's this infinite spirit that's everywhere, you know, in order to explain these passages where it seems to say that he's, you know, he's everywhere and that you know to kind of work that with the traditional Christian concept of omnipresence and all that. Maybe that's not true. I mean, that that all basically came from Platonism, you know, Neoplatonism. Right. Maybe none of that's true at all. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. Boom. It's possible, you know, I mean, maybe... Uh, you know, because we're thinking, you know, well, well the, the Father can't have a form, because a form is inferior to being formless, right? Well, where are we getting that idea from? We're getting that from Platonism, right? Yeah. I mean, where does the Bible say that? It doesn't say that anywhere. It seems to say that the Father has a body, right? Maybe the traditional concept of omnipresence that Christians believe in is actually wrong. Maybe that's what's wrong. Maybe God really isn't physically present everywhere. Maybe he actually has a form, actually has a body, like it says. He's in one spatial location on a throne, and his spirit just proceeds from him. But his spirit isn't some distinct person. It's just like a energetic principle or something, like Drake says. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, you know? Yeah, it's confusing. Maybe there's no higher realm at all, like the supernal realm we talked about. Maybe... The, I mean that's very platonic as well. Maybe, maybe that's not true. You know, I don't know. So you know, when we were talking about how the the, the person on the throne is this higher son, this but this lower father. Maybe, maybe that's just the father. You know, maybe that's just actually the father. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you could still work it with the sun being merged back into him, you know, the lamb being merged back into him in Revelation. It'd just be the lamb, the sun, merging back with the father, right? Because he came out of the father before creation, you know? He emanated out of the father. Drake believes that. That's the semi-Aryan view, you know? I I don't know. So, yeah, but then what do we do with verses like, in him we live and move and have our being? That's what I mean. I think it's because his spirit proceeds from him. His spirit, yeah, animates everything. 
but that doesn't mean he's that doesn't mean he's physically everywhere. See what I'm saying? Well, yeah, but then shouldn't the verse say, "By him we live and move and have our being"? I'm not. In I him. don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think he. I think he could work both ways. I don't know. Well, if you don't know, I certainly don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. I thought it was a very interesting. Like I've never heard anybody say something like that. Like that was very interesting. And that was provocative to me. I've never heard anyone say something like that before. You know, I've never thought about. I've never thought like that. But maybe Drake's right, and all and all Neoplatonism is just totally wrong. You know, I, I don't know. I can definitely see his point, and when you take these kind of platonic ideas to their logical extension, and it leads people to not care about the physical reality, which he's totally right on with that, because there's this higher realm that we're all going to, you know, the floaty place that we're all going to go back to eventually, so why care about the, the physical world or, you know, do anything about it or be involved in politics at all or, you know. He's totally right. I mean, I get what he's saying with all that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I still don't really understand. I mean, if, if I if I have an, an infinite immortal spirit, or if I have an immortal, innately immortal spirit already that emanated out of this platonic God that's going to emanate back, well, I mean, why should I care about anything that happens in the physical world or anything? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Just putting that out there. It's an it's an idea to consider. Well, back to the drawing board. Basically what I'm saying is our uh ideas on theology might poss- possibly might not be true. It's, you know. Could be true still, but they might not be. That's all I'm saying. Uh, at least we're not dogmatic about it. We know that we could be wrong, you know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think that's all. Uh, let's see here, hold on. I think that's all. Well, just another thing I could talk about is could mention the iPet Go To video and how it shows the Big Ben Tower stopped at twelve o'clock in that video. Oh yeah, which uh, actually happened. The Big Ben Tower stopped. Are you familiar with that? No, when. Yeah, it rang for the last time at 12 o'clock. Uh, when was it? Let me see. I think it was this year or sometime. Really? I didn't hear about this. Yeah, which is which it shows in the, the iPad go-to video, you know. Yeah, Big Ben's um, bells to fall silent until 2021 for repairs. Um... Silenced for four years for maintenance. 
I think from noon on Monday, 21st August, the Bell's hourly chimes will be paused until 2021. So they stopped it on the day of the eclipse? Was that the day of the eclipse? Yes, sir, it was. August oh, well, then, yeah. <laughs> well, then, yeah. What the hell? Well, it shows, the eclipse on, in, it shows the eclipse in the iPad Go 2 video, too. Basically, what I'm saying is the iPad Go 2 video they've been, like, following. You know, it's it's pretty much everything in it has been fulfilled, exactly how it's depicted. So you should probably pay attention to it. Um, I'm pulling it up right now. The, the, and, all, and Big Ben Tower, I believe it's going to be destroyed as well sometime in the future. I mean, it's on the uh, the Illuminati cards. It shows that, you know. And they followed the they followed those cards to the T as well. Pretty much the Illuminati card game and the iPad Go To video. I would they've been following. They've been fulfilling, you know. Pretty much to the T. Kind of scary. So, um, another thing, uh, I heard this from Dave actually, but, uh, I didn't know this. Apparently, there's a statue of Persephone on top of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. I had no idea about this. Of uh, the, the Liberty Goddess? Yeah. Yeah. She's atop the Capitol building, like at the very top. Um, yeah, they call her, you know, Liberty. Liberty. It's from Libertas, you know, the ancient Roman goddess, who, who Wikipedia will even tell you is equated with Persephone. It's the same goddess. Yeah. She's literally the, the very highest thing on top of the... Washington, D.C. Capitol. <laughs> above above the dome, you know? Like above the firmament. Yeah. I guess because she's ruling, she's in charge. They're showing you that. All right, that's all I had. I'm going to have to watch the Pet Go 2 video again for sure. Yeah, uh-huh. Anything about uh, North Korea in there? Yeah, I think so, uh-huh. You'll have to watch it. I'm pretty sure New York's going to be destroyed as well. I'm pretty confident. I, I wonder, I'm speculating, well, I've thought this for a while now, but I think that uh, North Korea might set off a bomb or something maybe in the in the ocean off the coast of New York, and it'll cause, like, massive tidal waves and flooding, you know, which will destroy New York. Which they've shown in a lot of predictive programming, plus it's actually encoded onto the one of the dollar bills, I forget which, but it shows New York being flooded, destroyed. Basically, if it's encoded on to the dollar bills, it's going to happen because 9/11 was encoded onto the dollar bill, and you know, and 
that obviously ha- happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're talking about the fold-up? Yeah. Fold-up yep. dollar bill? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's a bit vague to call encoded. Really? You talking about the 911 on the dollar bill? Uh, let me make sure. Dude, that was very that that was so specific. It actually showed the specific uh, explosions on each tower, exactly how they happened. I mean, that wasn't vague at all. That was like specific, like to the T of how it actually went down. <laughs> I'm looking it up again. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be, dude, but it's not like it's even, you know, (laughs) I don't really, you know. I don't know, man. I I think it's going to happen. The 9-11 was pretty clear to me. Oh, okay. Here's another thing I could talk. So I have I, I've been in this debate with this chick on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, this is just really sad. You're debating a girl. It's like trying to nail. I know. I know, train. right? I know. Yeah. <laughs> Lost cause, right? <laughs> well, this is chick. I've been friends with her for a long time on Facebook. I don't know her in real life, but. I knew her from some old groups I used to be in. Her name's Bettina. I'm not going to say her last name, but... Wait, Bettina? Like the rust on copper? No, with a B. Bettina? <laughs> no, no, no. Bettina, like B-E. Oh, okay. Bettina. <laughs> yeah. But she's always posting stuff like sympathizing with Native Americans. I don't. I don't know if she's. She might legit. I. I can't. I don't know if she's actually Native American or what. I mean, you can never. You can't really tell. Um. But anyway, she posted this video. I guess it's giving you the whole guilt trip over Native Americans. Basically, how. Uh, I think it says Native Americans weren't considered citizens until 1924. Native Americans weren't allowed to leave their reservations until 1924. Native Americans couldn't legally vote until 1924. Native Americans couldn't protect their land from U.S. seizure until 1934. Native Americans couldn't establish their own tribal government until 1934. Native Americans couldn't actually vote in all 50 states until 1965. Native Americans weren't granted full freedom of press until 1968. Native Americans weren't granted full religious freedoms until 1978. See, you know, it's a typical guilt trip, right? Yeah. Whole libertarian thing, too, right? Like, everyone should be equal, right? liberated, right? These individual human rights that everyone should have, you know, that whole thing. So, I posted a comment 
response because this chick supposedly believes the Bible as well. That's why I don't, I don't understand this mentality. And I said, uh, quote, native, quote unquote, Americans, the people who supposedly believe that no one could own land, yet somehow mysteriously the white man stole their land. It's precious when you think about it. <laughs> she said, well, after what happened to them, they had to have, quote, rights to own land, to have land. I said, you mean after the white man stole the land that they believe no one could own? Makes sense. <laughs> she said, yeah, just because they didn't believe in, quote, owning land doesn't mean other people could not believe in taking it from them, right? Oh, she's just trying to force her culture on them, that's all. That bigot. Did you hear that question? She's trying question, to force though? her concept of land ownership on them. I know, right? But did you hear what she just asked? What yeah. the hell did that even mean? She said, yeah, just because they didn't believe in, quote, owning land doesn't mean other people could not believe in taking it from them, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> Isn't that like a self-refuting statement? <laughs> it's like you got, like, two negatives in there when they cancel each other out. I, I don't really get what the hell she was trying to say with that. Anyway, I respond, I said, huh? They can't speak logic as a foreign language to them. <laughs> well, anyway, I said, which in no way would be wrong according to their own worldview, which is obviously going over your head. And she said, it's how they were treated, which is going over your yours. Jeez. <laughs> and then I said, how they were treated according to their own standard wasn't wrong. They did the same things to rivaling tribes. And then she responded, gosh, you know what I meant. So you don't think the NDNs were treated wrongly? Okay, how about our how our government treats us? That's completely off the topic. Wait, what's an NBN? I'm not really sure. I guess it's referring to Native Americans, some kind of acronym that refers to them. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds made up, man. It could be. Now she's just making up acronyms to sound smart because she knows she can't speak logic. <laughs> Very possible. And she said, is it wrong or just their, quote, worldview? Every human knows right from wrong. Uh, here we go. Here we go. You, rights derive from humanity, right? Human rights. <laughs> right, right and wrong just derive from humanity. She said, doesn't matter their worldview. Everyone knows how they would want to be treated. Okay. So I respond. I said, I don't believe in a universal, quote, human race. For one, and for two, you're appealing to a mechanistic application of the golden rule, which says that you should treat others how you would want to be treated if you were in their situation. So if a serial killer is on death row, the warden should let him go because if he were in his position, he wouldn't want to be executed. And this is why women don't do philosophy. And she said, no, that's not at all what I said. I'm saying that people know when they're doing wrong. You still believe in right and wrong. Do you believe the Bible? Okay, I said, what the colonists did to the Native Americans wasn't wrong. I have studied the history of this, and the first colonists did not, did not attack first, for one, the natives did, and for two, they were a pagan, savage people, and Yah judged them, judge them rightly for it. 
I believe in right and wrong, but those are not derived from so-called, quote, being human. If that was the case, why don't we give children the right to use firearms, the ability to drive and vote? They're human, aren't they? Do they know what is right? That would be the logical extension of her argument, right? Yeah, hold on. You just flipped out for like five seconds. Oh. What what, what did like, you hear? Uh, like right after the words, if that was the case. Oh, okay. So I said, if that was the case, why don't we give children the right to use firearms, the ability to drive and vote? They're human, aren't they? Do they know what is right? Isn't that right? <laughs> Gun rights for for kindergartners. <laughs> but then she uh she literally completely deflects, okay? She writes this massive comment that just totally deflects from everything I just said. Yeah. Which is typical. They do that. Yeah, she said, anyway, I just changed my setting on this. It was originally set for only, quote, close friends, even though you don't even know me. Here we go. Let me tell you something about myself. I'm a lot smarter than you think. I actually have a condition, neurological, caused by chronic Lyme disease. I have pretty <laughs> awful symptoms. Huh? <laughs> what? You're cutting out, what? I thought she was going to say autism was the condition. <laughs> just, I think it's just the same symptoms conveniently. Yeah. <laughs> she says, the best way to describe is that it feels like I'm on a, quote, bad trip all the time. It's in my nervous system, and so it does very strange things. I know all about many things, just as you do. We disagree about the natives. That is fine. See? The whole agree to disagree thing. She doesn't even try to refute. She, she doesn't say, I disagree, and here's why. Here's the facts. Let me go through them. No. No. It's just, I disagree because it makes me feel bad emotionally, and, you know, my emotions are just as valid as yours. So, I mean, that's, we'll just agree to disagree, and, right? That whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> then she says, uh, I don't always speak all my words out correctly, which is one of the very small symptoms of what I have. If you were in person, it would be different. I don't appreciate the, quote, LOL. You can speak to me with respect without fake laughter. I'm 44 years old. People think I look late 20s. I'm currently pregnant with my fifth baby. I have been through more than you can ever imagine, and I'm currently dealing with a lot. I'm not having this conversation so anyone else can see it anymore. Thank you for your input. I actually know many Christian Native Americans. Yeah, well, how many Native Americans were Christians before the colonists showed up? And furthermore, your LOL was not fake. You are laughing at her, I'm sure. I know. That's another <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely true. And then she says, there are quite a lot. Try going into a real sweat lodge sometime. It's very nice and good for you. You don't got to be pagan. The fuck? What the hell does that have to do with anything? Right? What does that have Dude, to do with the, the original the Native Americans? Overheating. What does that have to do with the original Native Americans being pagan, which they were? Nothing to do with them. And then she says, I have been through more than you can ever imagine. I'm not having this conversation so anyone else can see it anymore. Thank you for your input. Children, the right to use firearms? Really? You compare what I said to that nonsense? <laughs> I'm done with this now. All I said was it was wrong the way they were treated. 
And by the way, voting for presidents is stupid. Everyone should stop voting for them. And also, they were probably already decided on before you even voted. Thanks. That's a complete red herring. What the hell does that have to do with anything? <laughs> you ever seen a hamster in a hamster cage wheel, Chris, and they start running so fast that they trip and they spin inside the wheel before it throws them out? That's yeah. what you just saw. That's what it looks like in conversation form. That's, yeah. Well, I responded, I said, you said, quote, every human knows right from wrong, doesn't matter their worldview. Everyone knows how they would want to be treated, end quote. And I took your laughable statements to their ultimate logical extension, reductio ad absurdum, and, and you got mad and deflected because of it. Are children not human? Question mark. Again. And her, her last answer, she, she never never even bothers to answer the question. She just says, I never got mad. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, uh, dude. I know. I know. You know, I just, I read somebody say that people like this. Hey, hold on. Do you hear that, that echoey tone when I talk? No, no, you sound good. Maybe yeah. it's on my end. Anyway, I heard somebody compare people who can't do logic like this. It's like watching monkeys bite the corners off of a book and say, "Oh yeah, I totally got this reading thing down." <laughs> like they don't, they don't realize how absolutely retarded they sound. I know. I just don't understand how you can believe in the human right universal human rights thing that rights are derived from just being human and and you believe the bible like it's just i don't get it how can you possibly hold those two views in your mind i don't understand how people do it man If what is right drives from being human, then why can't children own firearms and get driver's licenses and, you know? Mm-hmm. They're, they're human. Children are human, aren't they? Right? Yeah. You completely avoided that because she knows that that's the ultimate logical extension of what she was saying. Just reduced it to absurdity. <laughs> All right. Yeah, dude. I, I finally realized something. I, I told you I tried to convince my mom of polygyny not being a sin, according to the Bible. Yeah. And uh, uh-huh. I told you that, like, an episode or two ago. And I finally realized yeah. something, dude. You don't try to convince, um, you know, it's like uh, a king doesn't try to convince his followers to, uh, you know, go by his laws. He just gives commands and, you know, enforces them. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. And that's how it used to be in the, the biblical system, right? The, the man was the king of the household, the family institution. Whatever he said, I mean, was, I mean, it was authoritarian, you know, it was totalitarian, right? 
mean, he dictated what the women believed, what they thought, what they could say. You know, same with the children. I mean, complete opposite today. And now, now we see what happens when that you don't have, you know, you don't do that, right? And you just let women think what they want and do what they want. Does, it, does anything good come out of it? No. <laughs> no, it ends in complete disaster. They're not capable of thinking for themselves or even acting on their own, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I... I... It's good that we figure it out now because it's so frustrating to try to logically just get them to see anything. Yeah. They don't, see, mm-hmm. they don't want to see or understand certain things. So they know. No, I know. It's, it's literally that simple. No, I know. And that brings us back to the point I was trying to say earlier with the Hispanic pastor guy. It's like some of these people, they'll only get it if you lay hands on them. It's the only way they'll get it. They're like children, dude. They they don't get it any other way, you know. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> that's what it takes is threats of violence, physical force, and pain, you know. It's the only thing that will make them get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why you see Yahweh using those methods in the Old Testament all throughout, you know. People are belligerent. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've had I've had debates like that with uh, women on Facebook just a few times. It's a waste yeah. of time. But I didn't know that back then. And uh, mm-hmm. about abortion, oh my gosh, dude! And this woman was a lawyer who I was debating with. So, oh wow, you know she was paid to be an illogical hamster in a hamster wheel and yeah. dodge and deflect and change the subject and project oh, and sure. uh, ignore. Uh, and then, you know, when she loses in one thread, she'll start a new one spamming your, your Facebook wall. Ugh, it, it's, it's absolutely a waste of time. Mm-hmm. They're just <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. so irritating. Mm-hmm. This is the fruits of the libertarian society. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, absolute freedom of speech, right? Yeah. When everyone's liberated and you just say and think what they want, this is what happens. You get complete chaos and people just completely belligerent and saying the most retarded things imaginable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right, well... We can get to the reading now, if you want. Yeah. All righty. You can read, you know, as much of it as you want, whatever you want. I might do a chapter like I, or two, maybe three. Okay, like I uh, said, I haven't night. read it, so. Cool, cool. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> or, or, or should I say gentlemen and children? Uh-huh. Tonight we will be reading from the book Letters on Ode and Magnetism 
by Baron Karl von Reichenbach. And I am scrolling down to page one because this intro section is way too long. So have you read the whole thing then? I have. Yes, sir. Okay. So, I mean, if you're right. skipping so, over parts, they're they're not worth... There's no, no, the, the practice in the intro, I, I mean, you know, if you want to, I guess if you really want to, there might be a tidbit of useful info in there, but not really. Okay. The, bo- the body is where the meat is, so. I'll trust you on it. Yes. My audio gets... Can you hear me? Yep. Hello, are you there? Hello? Uh, Ross, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, man. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I can't uh I can't set it on the floor. So I have to get oh. up and do it here. I hate these shitty phone connections, man. <laughs> How about now? Keep talk a little bit more. I'm just going to hold the phone in my hand. That'll work. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, Letters on Ode and Magnetism by Carl. Carl von Reichenbach, Chapter 1, Sensitives. Have you never in your life, dear reader, come across people with the strange fancy of disliking everything yellow and yellow itself as a color? One would think that a beautiful lemon, a resplendent gold, a fiery orange was something charming to look at. Where can a feeling of aversion come in? And ask this class of people what color they do like and they will all answer as with one mouth, blue. Certainly the azure of the sky is a sight to do one good, but when evening frames the azure in gold, then surely the beautiful becomes something more than beautiful and merges into the magnificent. Had I to choose between spending the rest of my days in a maize-colored, maize like the corn, or a sky-blue room, I should probably, of the two colors named, prefer the yellow. But all the anti-yellowites, to whom I have ever said so, have always laughed at me. Now, I invert the question. I ask you to tell me if you have ever never been say Never, to a certainty. Never has anyone been found who abominated blue. Now, that a certain class of mankind agree in their dislike of yellow, and all agree in their liking for blue. Color physics teach us that yellow and blue stand in a relationship. They are complementary colors, occupying, as it were, opposite poles. Is it possible that underneath this fact, something else lies hidden than the mere effect of the color upon our eyesight? Some more fundamental difference than the mere optical difference of color familiar to all of us? Some difference which escapes our senses? And could there be appropriated to to the perception of such a difference, a difference also of human faculty, a difference to the effect that some might be able to perceive what is unrecognizable by others? Could there be, so to speak, men with two sorts of senses, 
That would be a somewhat peculiar state of affairs. Let us try and get further into it. A girl, we may take it, is well enough pleased to see herself in the looking glass. And perhaps also... Oh, hold on. Ah, there we go. Oh, and perhaps also there are men who take pleasure in the reflection of their own dear selves. And who could begrudge them the pleasure when a successful copy of God's fair masterpiece smiles back upon them and awakens anticipatory joy in the conquest which already flushes their cheek? Is there anything in life more glorious or beatific than the beautiful myself? How could it be, though, and it might really be possible, if there were girls, women, men, who could shy off mirrors, who turn away and cannot bear to see themselves in one? In very truth, there are such persons. There are men, and not a few in number, who are caused a peculiar feeling of distress by a looking glass, as though some sick so that they cannot stay quiet there for a minute. It is not merely their own portrait that the mirror throws back to them. It returns them also some painful sort of impression, which some feel more and others less, while to others it is only just so far perceptible as to leave them with a definite dislike of mirrors. What is this, and what does it come from? Why do some men only experience this feeling of repulsion? Why not all? No doubt you have often traveled, and so it cannot but be that you have come across people in the mail coach, omnibus, or railway carriage, who with the most aggressive selfishness, wherever they may be, insist on throwing open the carriage windows. Be the weather as bad as may be, blowing a hurricane or cold as ice, they will show no consideration for their fellow travelers' rheumatism, but conduct themselves insufferably. You have regarded this as bad form, but I ask you to postpone your judgment a little, at any rate, until a few more of my letters have come into your hands. And, and each of the chapters in here was apparently uh, like a weekly letter to the, uh, the uh, let's see, it was called the Allgemeine Zeitung in Augsburg, Germany. Hold on, it what? It was called what? Uh, a German newspaper in the city of Augsburg. So he's writing letters to a newspaper. Yeah, yeah, and they post it like a weekly little, uh, what do you call that? Uh, section? Column or, or what? Column, that's the word, yeah. Okay. So that's what he means when he speaks of his letters in plural. That's the chapters of his book. Anyway. Okay, all right. Uh, they will succeed, perhaps, in convincing you that within the within the confined limits of a present company, Things whose nature is still unrecognized are one. Things strong enough to be quite irresistible to many of the persons who form that company, while others have not the faintest sense of their existence. Is it possible that among all your friends you have none, frank it is, never to see others in a row, be it at the table, in the theater, in society, or in church, but who always wants the corner seat for himself, always elects to be a fugleman of the file? Take note of him. He is our man. We shall soon come to closer acquaintance with him. You will be sure to have known ladies who often feel faint in church, though otherwise their health is quite good. You may give them the corner seat, but even there they will feel faint and sometimes have to be carried out in a swoon. If you pay any attention to the matter, you will find that it is always the same, that is, only a certain class of persons who are taken this way. 
They are absolutely incapable of sitting any length of time in the nave of a church without growing faint, and yet they are otherwise healthy people. Your doctor will tell you that if you want a good, sound sleep, you must lie on your right side. Do you ever ask him why? If he is an honest man, he will say he does He's ignorant of the cause, but he does know from his varied experience who can never get to sleep when lying on their left side. His patients have often told him that, but what, is, but what is really at the bottom of the fact is unknown to him. If you care to go more closely into the matter, you will find out that it is not all men who have to lie on their right in order to get to sleep, and that very many people sleep habitually on their left. You will find, in fact, that there are plenty of people who are quite indifferent as to how they go to sleep, right or left, and to whom a night's repose on the left ear brings just as much refreshment as one on the right. But you will also find that those who cannot sleep on their left, but only on their right, make a minority so subject to this peculiarity as a class that they can lie on their left hour after hour, even half the night long, without getting to sleep, while so soon as they turn round in bed on to their right side, they get off to sleep in a moment. It is certainly a very peculiar thing, but you can observe it in all the countries of Europe. How many people are there who cannot suppress a feeling of disgust when they make use of a fork of German silver at the table or a fork made of Argentan, new silver, Chinese, or whatever else such compositions may be called, while others cannot imagine why the compositions should make such a difference from genuine silver as not to be for use on Persons with who simply could not endure coffee, tea, or chocolate made in a kitchen utensil, while most other people would never notice the difference. How many people, again, have an aversion from hot food, especially overcooked food, from rich dishes also, and sweet dishes, and infinitely, and especially such as are slightly on no small no small number among these persons evince so extraordinary a liking for salad that they may be heard to remark that they would give up the rest of the menu for the salad alone. Others are unable to imagine how so unqualified a preference could exist. There are some people who simply will not endure having anyone else standing close behind them. They avoid popular gatherings of all sorts, crowds, and markets. Others find it disagreeable to by the hand, and absolutely unbearable for anyone else to retain for any length of time the hand they themselves offer. If they cannot get it free otherwise, they will wrench it away. Then how many people are there then oh, then how many people are there not who cannot bear the heat from an iron stove but feel quite comfortable when it proceeds from one of stonework? Must you're hearing hundreds of such reasons to excite our wonder at the attitude of a Is it simply a case of imagination and neglected education, or bad habits occasioned perhaps by local differences of an otherwise healthy equilibrium? It may seem so, of course, to those who only take a superficial view of the matter. And unfortunately, such seeming has only too often led people into facts of injustice towards such sensitive persons as those I have described. Were these peculiar phenomena verified only in particular instances, scattered as chance occurrences among different individuals in varying situations, there might perhaps be some justification. 
importance. A remarkable circumstance, which up to the present day has not been considered worthy of attention, sets the matter on quite a different footing. These attributed to these persons are not found in them as individuals, but in every case as in a class. In other words, all of these sensitive people have all those pet peeves and uh, sensitivities. When you trouble to investigate, you find most and frequently all of the peculiarities mentioned in one and the same individual, but never, not one single time, by itself. The foe to yellow shuns the seat who flings the window open. The right side sleeper is the one who the people who are disgusted by brass and German silver like cold and simple food and are fastidious over fat. It is they who are fond of salad and so on. In every series of likes and dislikes, in the same down to disinclination for sugar and from fondness for bloom down to keen appetite for There is a solidarity all these wonderful peculiarities in their possessor. Experience shows this on all sides. Whoever has one of the list has, as a rule, all the others also. The conclusion is clear. There is a connection between them all which cannot be refused recognition. And if that is so, it can only be because they are all related in turn to a fundamental bond of union which they all proceed in common. Now if this source be present in some men and absent in others, it is obvious that, taken from this point of view, there are in effect two classes all these faculties. And this peculiar to accept on every trifling occasion. Hey, Ross. Yeah. Hey, Ross. You're kind of cutting out a little bit. Oh. Can you hear me now? Better, yeah. I don't know what happened, man. Where where did I uh, stop? You were just just the last thing you were you were saying. You kind of cut out. Every trifling occasion. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. The latter class may be called sensitives, for they are, in fact, frequently more sensitive than a mimosa. They are so in the very depths of their nature, a nature they can neither lay aside nor treat with arbitrary violence, and whenever their peculiarities have been taken for cranks, uh, he means pet peeves, and contrariness, their feelings have always been hurt by the fact. They have quite enough to suffer without that from our everyday world, which has never hitherto taken any account of them. Their sufferings are the consequence of their hitherto unrecognized peculiarity in the sensory faculty, and they are entitled to more consideration than has hitherto been accorded them. Their number is not small, and we shall soon, we shall soon see how deeply human life is penetrated by these peculiar factors of which I have now given you only the most elementary and superficial sketch. Chapter 2. Ode, Crystals, and the Dark Chamber Oh, there we go. You have already succeeded, I dare say, by means of the distinctive marks I have given you in finding out some of your acquaintance whom the characteristics fit, those whom I called sensitives. 
In point of fact, it is not difficult to lay one's fingers on them. They are to hand everywhere in great numbers. And if you cannot at once get hold of some in quite good health, then turn your attention to those who pass restless nights, who are always pulling the bedclothes about during their sleep, who talk or even get out of bed while dreaming, are greatly troubled by passing attacks of sick headache, frequent sufferers from stomach aches of short duration, complain of nervous depression, are not fond of large parties, and like keeping to a few friends or even seek for solitude. All such people are, with few exceptions, of a more or less sensitive nature. What I have recounted, however, only makes up the trivial aspect of the matter on which you are consulting me. As soon as our subject is laid on the touchstone of of science, things of quite other importance come into view. Just procure a natural crystal, as big a one as you can get, say a gypsum spar, two spans in length, a heavy spar, or a St. Gothard mountain crystal a foot long, and uh, lay it horizontally over the corner of a table or the arm of a chair. Hey, man, can you hear me? Yeah, yep. Oh, okay. Um... Oh, and lay the crystal horizontally over the corner of a table or the arm of a chair so that both ends project unsupported. Now lead one of these sensitive people up to it and tell him to put the palm of his left hand within three, four, or six inches distance from each end of the crystal, one end after the other. It will not be half a minute before he will tell you that a fine, cool current is coming against his hand from the end of the upper part of the peak of the crystal while from the other end, but on the lower broken surface, that on which the crystal grew, a certain feeling of lukewarmness reaches his hand. He will find the feeling of coolness pleasant and refreshing, that of the lukewarmness unpleasant, and accompanied by a disagreeable feeling, one almost a disgust, which, after a short period, will affect his whole arm, if kept there, and produce a sort of feeling of lassitude. Lassitude means laziness. When I first made this observation, it was just as novel as puzzling. Nobody, wherever I went, would believe it. Meantime, I have repeated it with hundreds of sensitives in Vienna. It has been confirmed in England, Scotland, and France, and anyone can easily put it to the proof himself, as sensitives exist everywhere. When they hold their hand near other parts of the crystal, say the bevelments on each side, they do, it is true, feel the two sensations of coolness and lukewarmness, uh, together I guess he means, but to an incomparably weaker degree than at the two ends, which are opposite poles. Non-sensitives feel nothing at all. As these contrasting sensations are excited without the crystal being touched, and at a distance of several inches, in fact, in the case of strongly sensitive persons, at a distance of several feet, it seems to be that from these, so to speak, semi-organic stones, Something was proceeding, emanating, radiating, something as yet unknown to natural science, something which, however incapable we may be of seeing it, still makes its existence known through its effects upon the body. Now, sensitives being, so far as feeling is concerned, so very much more capable than other men, the thought occurred to me that they might, in certain respects, be superior to us also in the sense of sight and perhaps be able, in dense darkness, to perceive something of these peculiar emanations from crystals. To put this to the proof, one dark night in May of 1844, 
I took an immensely large mountain crystal with me on a visit to a highly sensitive girl, Miss Angelica Sturman, her doctor, Professor, Professor Lippich, a man celebrated as a pathologist, was present on the occasion. We put two rooms into complete darkness, and in one of them I placed the crystal in a spot unknown to the others. After pausing a little to allow our eyes to get accustomed to the dark, we brought the girl into the room where the crystal was. Only a short time elapsed before she told me the place where I had set it down. The whole body of the crystal, she said, was glowing through and through with a fine light, while a body of blue light, the size of one's hand, was streaming out of the peak, in constant motion to and fro, and occasionally emitting sparks. It was tulip-shaped and disappearing in fine vapor at the summit. When I turned the crystal round, she saw a dense red and yellow smoke rising over the butt end. You can imagine how delighted I was with this statement. It was the first observation of thousands of others similar to it, which followed on from that day to this, made with crystals under innumerable variations of conditions, observations which, through the medium of a multitude of sensitive persons, established the fact that the phenomena produced by crystals to the sense of touch are accompanied by phenomena to the sense of vision. The latter phenomena following the former, pari passu, I don't know, that is that some kind of Latin phrase? It's in italics. Do you know that one, pari passu? No. P-A-R-I and the second word P-A-S-S-U. Uh, hold on. Is it P-A-R-I? Yeah. P-A-S-S-U? Yeah. B. Side by side. Side by side. All right. Or uh, uh, equal, equal footing. Okay. Latin, Latin phrase meaning equal footing. Hmm. All right. Uh, in polar contrast of blue and red-yellow, and only perceptible by sensitives. If you wish to make these experiments for yourself, I must warn you that you can only expect them to, be, to succeed in absolute darkness. The crystalline light is so fine and so extremely weak that if so much as a trace of any other light is perceptible anywhere in the dark chamber, it is sufficient to blind the sensitive observer, that is, to temporarily blunt his excitability of sense for so extremely weak a degree of light. Furthermore, there are but few human beings so highly sensitive to be able, like the, the young lady I have mentioned, to perceive this delicate light after, a sh after so short a period of darkness. For sensitives of a middle degree of power, it has mostly taken one to two hours in the dark to sufficiently relieve their eyesight from the overexcitation of day or lamplight, and thus adequately to prepare it for the detection of the crystal light. I have even had several cases in which weak sensitives gave no result after three hours, but who never, nevertheless succeeded quite well during the fourth hour in seeing crystals give out light and in convincing themselves of the reality of the phenomenon. Now, you are impatient to know what this really means and where these phenomena fit into physics and physiology, both as to their subjective and objective particulars. They are not heat, although they excite similar sensations to those of lukewarmness and coolness, there is no conceivable source of heat in the case, and were there any, it would be perceived not only by the sensitives, but also by non-sensitives, 
or in the ultimate issue by a fine thermo uh, thermoscope, thermometer. They are not electricity, for there is no excitation present to account for the eternally flowing stream. The electroscope is not affected, and conduction in accordance with the laws of electricity is without effect. It cannot be magnetism or diamagnetism because crystals are not magnetic and diamagnetism does not take effect in all crystals in the same sense. But in Wiley... What, what's that? Nope, nothing. Go on. But in widely differing and contrasted senses, a matter that has no place here at all. It cannot be ordinary light because although light is here as an accompaniment, Mere light never produces sensations of lukewarmness and coolness, etc. Well then, after saying all that, what are the phenomena you have described, you will ask me. If you really wish to know, you compel me to admit that I do not know myself. I am becoming aware through sundry avenues of the presence of a natural force, for which I am unable to find a place on the record established by those forces we already know of. If my judgment of the facts I have been able to gather has not gone astray, this force fits in between electricity, magnetism, and heat without being identifiable with any of the three. So in the embarrassment created by the occasion, I have provisionally designated it by the word ode, the etymology of which I shall discuss later. Uh, chapter 3. Sun, Moon, Rainbow. Sensitives you now know and the element in which they move, you know, namely, that force of nature which I have designated by the word ode. But with all that, we have... No, but, but with all that, we have only lifted one corner of the hem of the great odic garment in which the universe has wrapped itself. That remarkable force of ode streams not only from the poles of the crystal, but gushes also from numerous other sources in the great world of being just as strongly, and even more strongly still. First and foremost, I shall take you to the stars, and in fact, to the sun itself. Post a sensitive person in the shade, give him an ordinary unfilled barometer tube, or any other sort of glass rod, or even a wooden stick in his left hand, and let him hold the rod in the sunshine while his person and his hand remain in the shade. You will shortly learn something from this simple experiment that will surprise you. You will naturally expect that the person experimenting will, will perhaps feel the rod getting warm. The most that can happen will surely be that the sunshine will warm it up. But you will hear exactly the opposite. The sensitive's hand will feel a number of effects, but the sum total of them all will be a coolness. If such a hand withdraw the rod into the shade, the coolness will vanish and the hand will feel the rod getting warm. If it put the rod back into the sunshine, the rod will once, once more grow cool to its sensory perception. It can check the correctness of its own sensations by continuing to change about from one position to the other. There are consequently some very simple but so far unobserved factors in existence under the influence of which the direct sunbeam not only does not warm, but in a most unexpected and unusual manner, cools. And as to this coolness, Sensitives will tell you that it bears every resemblance in its, in its effects to those exercised by the coolness felt from the upper peak of the mountain crystal. Now, if this coolness is something in the nature of ode, it will necessarily find some expression in the dark as a phenomenon of light. 
You will succeed in finding this out if you will perform one of my experiments as follows. I hung a copper wire so as to go from a fully lighted room into the darkness of a camera obscura. That's, that means dark room. Mm-hmm. Then, I put, then I put the end of the wire out into the sunshine. I'm thinking he fed this through a tiny hole in the wall or the floor uh, so there wasn't any light coming in where the wire came into the room. Scarcely, this was, scarcely was this done when the part of the wire that was in the dark began to get luminous and a small flame-like phenomenon the size of a finger rose up at its extremity. The sunshine consequently infused an odic element into the wire seen by sensitives streaming out into the darkness under the form of light. Excuse me. But take one step further. Let the sunbeam fall on a good glass prism and throw the colors of the rainbow onto the nearest wall. Let the sensitive person with the glass rod in his left hand try the colors one after the other. If he holds it so as to catch only the blue or violet color in the air, the sensation that this will excite in him will be one of a highly agreeable coolness, much purer and cooler than that which occurred with the unrefracted sunbeam. If instead of this he puts the rod into the yellow ray, or better still, into the red ray, the comfortable feeling of coolness will vanish on the instant and be replaced by one of heat. A disagreeable lukewarmness will make his whole arm heavy. You can make the sensitive hold a bare finger on the colors, Instead of using the rod as intermediary, the effect will be the same. I only divide the rod for the purpose of shutting off the actual heat rays from his hand by means of a bad conductor of heat. These effects of refracted sunlight will be found exactly similar to those of the poles of the crystal. Hence you see, ode exercising both kinds of effect is contained in the sunbeam. It streams towards us from our star of day every moment in immeasurable floods along with the light and heat and forms a newly discovered mighty solar agent, the extent of whose functions we have no present means of estimating. Will you now let me ask you to look, to look back for a moment to the foe to yellow and friend to blue I spoke of in my first letter? Have we not seen that the pole of the crystal that breathed forth an agreeable coolness was one that emitted blue light? And do we not here, by quite a different route, come upon sunlight distributing with its blue ray an extremely agreeable and refreshing coolness? And vice versa. Had not the red-yellow light of the other pole of the crystal and also the the red-yellow ray of the sun produced feelings of nausea and discomfort in the sensitives? You see how in two cases, standing so infinitely wide apart, blue had invariably for its sequel sensations of comfort had invariably for its sequel sensations of comfort oh yeah that makes sense and red yellow feelings of discomfort herewith you receive a preliminary hint to put you on your guard against all rash judgment of sensitive persons in the matter of their alleged whims you see that in fact something more must lie hidden in the yellow and blue of our colors than the mere optical effect on the retina of the eye. That here a deep down instinctive sense of a subtle unknown something guides the feeling and intuitive judgment of our sensitives and that this is a matter worth the utmost effects of our powers of observation. 
Now, leaving colors on one side, I wish to arm you with one more easy experiment that I have often made for isolating the odic content of sunbeams. Sorry, man, I can't get comfortable. Well, you're all right. <laughs> there we go. All right, there we go. Polarize them, uh, the sunbeams, in the ordinary way so that they fall at an angle of 35 degrees on a bundle of a dozen panes of glass. Then let the sensitive observer hold the rod in his left hand now, hold his rod, hold the rod in his left hand now in the reflected light and now in the light that has passed through. You will always hear that the former sends odic cool and the latter odic mawkishness along the rod to the sense of feeling in the hand. I guess mawkishness is the same as lukewarmness. If you are in the mood, you can take a little rise out of the chemists in this connection. Get two similar glasses of water and put one standing in the reflected and the other in the filtered sunlight. After they have been there six to eight minutes, let a sensitive sip from them. He will tell you at once that the water taken out of the reflected light tastes cool and slightly acidulous and that the water taken out of the filtered light tastes mawkish and somewhat bitter. Do something more. Put a small glass vessel filled with water in the blue light of the spectrum and another one in the orange, or put one of them at the pointed end of a large mountain crystal and the other at the butt end. In all these cases, you may be sure that the sensitive will find the water that has been placed in the blue light pleasant and slightly acidulated and that which has been placed in the orange nauseating, rather bitter, and crude. He will drink the first glass off with pleasure if you let him do so, but if you force him into drinking the other, an event may betide you that happened once to myself, namely, that the sensitive shortly afterward had a violent fit of vomiting. Now give the water to the gentlemen of the analytical profession and ask them to try out the elements of the amarum and the acidum from it, more Latin terms. I don't know what he's talking about. Um, proceed with the moonlight as you have done with the sunlight. You will obtain you will obtain similar but in part polarically contrasted results. A glass rod held by a sensitive's left hand in full pure moonlight will not yield him coolness but lukewarmness. A glass of water that has been some time in the moonlight he will find tasting more insipid and mawkish than another that has been standing a moderate time in the shade. Everyone knows the great influence the moon has on many people. All persons subject to its influence are without exception sensitives, and as a rule, pretty keenly sensitive. And as the moon demonstrably exercises odic effects, while its influence on lunatic patients corresponds exactly with the effects that can be produced through other odic sources, it is as an ode distributive star of great importance for us. The element of odic force is thus radiated towards us so abundantly by sunlight and moonlight that we can lay hold of it at our ease and make use of it, make use of it in simple experiments. How unbounded its influence is on the whole of humanity and even on the whole animal and vegetable kingdom will be proved shortly. Ode is, accordingly, a cosmic force that radiates from star to star and has the whole universe for its field, just like light and heat. All right, I think I'm going to stop there for now. Okay.
Well, I'm definitely going to have to listen to this again. <laughs> yeah, starting to get interested? Yeah. But it was just, uh, it was a lot to, you know, I'm going to have to listen to it again to properly absorb it, I think. Yeah. Let me send you the link so you can put it in the show notes. Okay. All right. I'm going to Facebook it over to you. Okay. All right. Is that it then? Yeah. We'll pick up next time, I guess. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for joining me again, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, Let me know when you want to do the next one. All right, man. All right. You have a good night, buddy. You too, Chris. See you. All right. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.